This is So What Does Judaism Say About? We discuss interesting topics and what the Torah and Judaism say about them. I'm Rabbi Rick Fox. With me is the very astute Rabbi Mayer Beer. Rabbi Beer, how you doing? Fantastic. I say astute because we want to know today, what does Judaism say about emotions and emotional intelligence? And emotional development. And emotional development and maturity. We can throw them all in there. Well, we'll see what we have time for, but we'll, I, get, we'll get in what we can. I think it's fun to talk about emotions because I think that there's a Western idea that sort of Judaism is an intellectual pursuit or something like that. You know, there's a lot of academic study of, you go to Penn, there's how many classes are there on, you know, the how the Torah, blah, 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 or the perspective on God. I mean, these courses exist. They're secular courses. The Talmudic approach so it's fun to kind of get in there and say like, no, there's a whole and very important emotional side to Torah, not just to human beings, to the Torah itself in your emotional development. Yeah, sure. And, you know, channeling emotions, controlling emotions, emotional discipline, these are really fundamental parts and we can of, of Judaism. And, you know, we can, uh, we can go through some of this. So some of the most basic emotions that are important, things like joy, simcha. What about anger, fear? Uh, yeah, you know that's that's certainly true. But that's where I want to go. <laughs> but even in the positive things, you know, a person is supposed to pray. Who said for anger and fear is not positive. Okay. That's a general rule. Right. You know, you try to minimize that anger. Right. You know, right, right, right. Um, yeah. The Talmud writes that anybody who gets angry is like he's worshipped uh, idols, right? Because when you're angry, you're out of reality. You're out of reality, and you can do anything. Yeah. You know, it's a uh, there's a really there's a really great analogy. Ravelia Lapian, one of the great Musser. Uh, personalities from the middle of the 20th century and the early 20th century wrote, uh, wrote, he said, you know, you have a person that's drunk and gets into a car and smashes up 20 cars. You know, he's uh, brought before court for, for all the damages that he's, that he's caused injuries that, you know, God forbid he's caused. And it tells the judge, it's not my fault. I was drunk. <laughs> Why did you drink? <laughs> so the same thing is with anger. Why'd you get angry? Why'd you get angry? That is so heavy. Yeah, of course. When you're angry, you're going to be unhinged and 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 you know with without control. That's so heavy. Don't get don't get angry. That is so heavy. Yeah, but it's true. But focusing on you know some of the more positive things, so simcha, joy, you know, these things are very are very you know almost constants in Judaism that a person should you know the the Talmud says that the Shechina, the divine presence, doesn't rest on a person unless he has simcha shemitz for the joy of of doing good deeds. And so these are these are kind of broader ideas. Um, teachers need to have an, an element of enthusiasm for their subject. Or Moshe Feinstein wrote that um, that a teacher that can't, so he's talking about you know a teacher teaching Judaism, but you know this is true uh, of any teacher that wants to be effective, that can't show an element of of positivity and joy in the subject subject that he's teaching and teaches it in in a way that's too mechanical and robotic, is not going to be an effective teacher and shouldn't be teaching. Right, because he's not, because he's not, that's beautiful, because he's not teaching material. He's, when it comes, you said teaching Torah, you're teaching a way of life. You have to embody it, and the only way to embody it is to have passion, excitement, joy. And I think this is exactly what you find. I mean, you and I are on campus every day. How many people do we meet on campus that are coming from, you know, these, the, a Jewish background that was overtly pro-negative? It was like, they, were be, they would have been better off having no Jewish education, in terms of how resentful or how distanced they feel from from the, you know, the, the lack of emotional development over their education in Judaism. 
Yeah, and and you know, you know, we, we you can like kind of put this into like deep observance and all that, but even just like basic morality, like if your parents give you the impression that being honest, just talking about you know universal constants in morality and you know spiritual beliefs, like that being honest is is a, is a source of pride. It's a good thing. You know, you're far more likely to absorb that message and don't steal. You might go to jail. Hundred percent. Bad things happen. Hundred percent. I think you, you need to have a chip on your shoulder about about those messages. So why is the perspective really that 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 Torah is a set of rules of don'ts? When really, if you when you get into it, only when you get into it, do you find out that really it's a pro positive message of self development, growth, and you know the 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 gadlut ha'adam, the raising up of the person, ramut ha'adam that our Nassim Finkel brought down. Why, why is that so absent in most Jewish education emotionally? So. You know, I, I, I hate to stereotype, and I hate to put people down. That's not true. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but to an extent, you know, even positive change, you know, change with positive results takes a lot of work. Right. And if you can just dismiss it as a bunch of rules rather than seeing the value in it, you know. But it seems like it's almost taught that way. I say almost because I'm trying to be nice. Yeah. It seems like it's taught that way. But that's, know, what it's, that's what I was brought up to eat learning. But that's true. But if you're observing out of guilt, that's what it is. If you're not observing out of, you know, out, of, out of a sense of purpose or connecting, I should say, rather than observing out of a sense of purpose, then it, that's what it is. And, and that's how you convey the message. And that's what it becomes. And then it does become valuable because you're not seeing the benefits of that, you know, that development. It's got to be pro-positive, not just positive, proactively positive. I, I, I don't disagree. But moving along down some of these ideas, let's get into some more, you know, basic things of, of, you know, human behavior and like kind of ideas of like how the Torah says we need to discipline ourselves and, and develop as we're, as we're discussing. So we have, for instance, something which is, I think, very fundamental. The Torah says, this is a verse from, um, from, from Vayikra, from Leviticus, do not hate your brother in uh, in your heart. You should rebuke your fellow man. My favorite thing to do. What in the world do the two things have to do with each other? That's the same verse. Let's line it up. So what do we? What's what's the disparity? Don't here? hate your brother in your, your heart. heart. Don't Re- hate your brother in your heart. Your brother. Well, what? Like that doesn't seem to be connected. So Nachmanides has this really powerful point, um, and he says that a lot of times you'll hate people. Because you're too timid to go over and confront them about something that you feel you were negatively affected by their behavior. So that that, that type of hate is called resentment. Right. But if you would simply yeah. confront them, yeah. it, it can be a little difficult to do. It takes effort you have to build up the courage to do it. Be like, you know, I really didn't appreciate what you did. You'll usually find that either you misinterpreted what happened, they did hurt you, but didn't realize the effect and are actually sorry for what they did, did not mean to have, you know, kind of, their actions go where they went. And by simply mustering up the courage, which takes effort to confront them, to quote unquote rebuke them, to, to stand up for yourself, you'll stop hating your brother in your heart. Right. So the Torah is basically laying out thousands of years before the psychological movement of the you know modern era what assertive communication looks like. We know that right. there are it's very self-serving. And we, you need to do it. We know that there are four basic responses to, let's call it, negative behavior against a person, right? There's what's called aggressive. We all know that. And you're not. And I, I assume we're not talking about that when it says rebuke them. We're not meant to be aggressive at all. We have passive aggressive, which is the classic American <laughs> roommate response, you know, just letting the dishes pile up in the sink as a wink, wink, nod, nod, that like you need to be doing the dishes. That's called passive aggressive. That's even at its best. 
Then you have, then you have uh, this idea of being assertive, which is I feel a certain way. Let me let me put that together, and and from my perspective, nothing to do with you. Like you said, I feel that this is this is what's happening, and I have to express myself. But but nothing to do with you. I'm not coming at you. I'm just saying this is what I felt that you did. I felt this way. It's me. And then the other person will be, that, that is a rebuke. You're saying like, hey, you know, let's go to the dishes. You know, it, really, it really hurts my feelings. It really bothers me that I, f- I feel like I'm the only one doing the dishes. Pause. Right. You're not saying you're not doing the dishes. But it's just like, oh, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize. You. Right. Which is usually what happens. Are you going to meet some people that don't care? Fine. Whatever. There's, you know, there's bad people out there. But you're going to find a lot less hatred in your heart, which is the first part of the verse. And we forgot the fourth one, which is defensive. But that's the absolute worst. That's the aggressiveness yeah. on the negative side. It's... We all know that. And that's that's that anger we're talking about. That's that you become so defensive. That's the response. Someone points out something to you, you become super defensive. You can't, you know, I didn't do anything wrong. Don't, don't, yeah, don't, 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 don't do that. Yeah. Uh, well, then we have move on to things like jealousy, right? Where we have the Torah specifically commanding as one of the Ten Commandments not to be jealous. Now, how in the world? I am jealous. How do, how do you not be jealous? I, I want it. I'm not going to take it. I, I can prevent actions, but how do I prevent feelings? How do you work on that? That's interesting. You see it the other way also. You see there's a commandment also to love God, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love other people. It's also being commanded to create positive emotion. On the negative side, how to not be jealous, that's a very interesting question because that's how I feel. Let me feel what I feel. So there is a, a really insightful answer from the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra says that, you know, I'll give the example he says. You can kind of modernize it. Um, if a person, so one of the things is not to be jealous of your friend's wife, your friend's spouse. You know, friend has a really beautiful, you know, person they're in a relationship with, and you, you, you know, you're kind of you want you want someone like that, really special, really beautiful, really wonderful person, and you want to be in that kind of relationship. So he says, "Are you jealous when the king's daughter gets the best husband, or the king's son gets the best wife?" Doesn't take so much modernization. No, you know, are you jealous of? Prince William and his marriage to Kate Middleton was that was there a jealousy? There, there was a positive feeling of an obsession, really, of the world for that relationship, in a good way. People were like, "That's so, I'm so happy for them." Almost, right. That's what people were feeling. You, you might wish you were that, but you know, it's not yours. It's not reality, right? So you're not jealous, but your friend, what he has, you associate with yourself. So right. I should have it because he has it. But with enough self discipline, you can start viewing your friends as being as untouchable and, and as out of reach. As that celebrity, that billionaire, and I wish I might wish I was that, but I'm not jealous of them. That's that's not for me. That's for him. But you can do the same thing with wow. with your next door neighbor. Wow. So when his car's a little nicer than yours, that's his. This is mine. Now that takes. But it's his and this is mine because he is so far away from my reality that it's not relevant to me what car he has because I'm. He's beyond. You're saying he, it, it's it's really raising them up. He's beyond my level. That's his world, and this is my world. How do you? My world has that? a Toyota. His world has a Mercedes. How do you do that? Why are you not jealous of Jay Z for having 800 Ferraris and a private yacht and a private jet or, or whatever he has? Maybe I am. What? <laughs> you might wish you were that, but you don't. You don't like. You don't feel that 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 pit in your stomach that he just got a new car because you recognize that that's his life. Do you think why can't that, that be his life and this is my life? Do you think though that the Jay-Z life trickles down to then the neighbor and then that's where it comes from? Meaning because I've seen Jay-Z, I'm not jealous of him, but the neighbor then, wow, he actually is achieving, let's say, the quasi Jay-Z life. 
and it was so untouchable. But why are you? Why does? Why did? Why are you able to achieve it and not me? Is that really where the resentment comes it, from? It, I think that's part of it. But but you can you know develop this like every person is entitled to happiness, and I'm glad they're happy. So how do you work on fringe on my happiness? How do you work on that? That yeah. is so important, especially at Penn, where everybody is. You know, I, I meet so we meet so many students. I mean, I can I, I can only say how many times it says I have to do this this summer. You know, say why? Because all my friends are doing it. Or whatever it is. It's like, why does that influence what you do with your life? We know that it does. So I think that with a really healthy self-image, you stop really being bothered or defining yourself by the accomplishments of other people. Say you decide you're going to be the best teacher. That's your goal. You want to teach high school. You want to be the best high school teacher. Are you jealous of your friend who chose to become a doctor? No, because you identify as a teacher. That's who you are. And this is what you have. So... The fact that he has a bigger salary is irrelevant because you purposely chose this path. Now, if you start recognizing that this is, I'm doing well at my job, I'm being successful, and this is what my success success translates into, you're not going to really, really be disturbed if he financially is doing a little better than you. Now, if you're being lazy and he's not, and that's a wake-up call, so... That's not really jealousy. That's just a way to give yourself a kick in the pants that right. I could be doing better than I am. It starts as jealousy and it builds that becomes that resentment. And you instead of you're never going to hate yourself. Right, so but you're going to hate the other person. Right, but if you're just doing okay for yourself, like what does it matter that like it doesn't like I'm defining myself on my own accomplishments by my own my own focus, my own discipline and it's there. So. Listen, you're you're describing beautifully perfectly what attracted me to the Torah perspective which was that success is absolutely relative, but morality and, and sort of you know, the right and wrong is absolute. And, and unfortunately, in, in the Western philosophy, it's exactly the opposite. We have moral relativism to the nth degree, but we've kept success as like, if we don't achieve this, there's something wrong with the system, there's something wrong with me, there's something wrong, and, and that, that, that creates all this negativity. Right, but, and, and to make your point once again, um, to repeat what you just said, from the Torah saying, do not be jealous, it's definitively defining this in a different, you know, with a, with different boundaries. Because you're going to have to have a very different attitude if you're going to proactively work at yourself not to be jealous. And know, and, and know your place and know that that's what you're developing on. And, and absolutely no commies. Torah is anti-commies. That's what I'm picking up from this. For sure. No Because communism. if everybody's an individual, then that's going to be kind of the way you are. Very refreshing. You, know, you created, you're happy because this is your accomplishments, this is your development, this is your effort and discipline and all that. We're not meant to achieve the same thing. We're not meant to have the same things. Right. But now we're going to kind of flip this on its on its head. And that is the point you brought up before, which is love. We're not going communism, are we? No, we're not. We must love everyone the same. So how the Torah says, you should love your friend like yourself. Love, like you love yourself. Right. Now, how do you? What, what does that mean? Like, let's unpackage that a little bit. You must love your neighbor like yourself. If you don't like yourself, what's there to like in somebody else? Correct. But let's say you do like yourself. How do you love your neighbor like yourself? He's, he's your neighbor, not yourself. So there's a, there's a, Romero Simchov de Vince breaks love, or the, the term we use for love, into two parts. There's sometimes there is love. He says a, a wealthy person can love the people that he benefits because they allow him to feel like a benefactor. Like, I'm this philanthropist because I have people to give money to. Right. So he doesn't really love the poor people that he's helping. Ooh. He loves himself. Right. Then there is love that you can start loving someone else because you identify with that person. An example would be, let's say you're, you know, you join Doctors Without Borders and you're going to underdeveloped countries and you're helping people with medical needs. Right. And you see that there's 
hundreds of thousands of people in the area that you're like really trying to help who have these needs, you can only help 200 of them, right? But there's 100,000 people that need help. When there's 10 more doctors that join your group, even though you help 200 and one of those doctors helps 300, you're not jealous of him because you're identifying with the cause and you're part of the same thing. So in this sense, we, we want to have the opposite of jealousy. It's not that he's him and I'm me, but we're in this together somehow. It's pro-positive again. Right. Pro-positive. And by doing that, you can have a connected sense of love. I love what he's doing because he's me. He is the Doctors Without Border. He's helping those people. So if you love a person because you can identify with them, you can love them like you love yourself. You literally have to take yourself and expand it to other people. It's like it's like a team. Like the everybody on the football team, you know, is is excited. No one would be disappointed if the quarterback led a fourth quarter two minute drill, got the touchdown and won because they're the third string, you know, punter. They're very happy right, because you're on. It, that's that's precisely the point. Very happy. Also, they're going to get a bigger paycheck, but they're all they're all on that team working towards that larger goal, and they love that quarterback, and they're not jealous of that quarterback. Correct. They're not jealous because they recognize he's the quarterback, I'm the punter. Third-string third punter. Third-string punter. But <laughs> they're no happy and sharing in the <laughs> celebration together because they can also share an identity while still having their own their own separate identities. So you need, you need that like dualistic view where I'm myself and he's him, but we also overlap and we also can love what we share together. Now, is that spiritually true because all of the Jewish people are deeply spiritually connected? That you is know, certainly kol, something you, you know, can you can utilize for that. One heart, one mind. But it could also be because your neighbor shares the same neighborhood as you, and you you know you like to keep it clean and pretty, and everybody likes to make the block look nice, and you're you're utilizing that in a much higher level. But this is even on a basic level something that can be something as simply as we share the block, we we say good morning to each other, we go to the July Fourth parade, uh, parade together, right. Ramosha Feinstein says that this is, and this is a really powerful insight, this idea of connecting with another person is a way to keep attraction in a marriage. He says, when you look in the mirror, you don't, you don't, you don't think you're ugly. It's like it's you, even though you're old and you know you don't look like you used to and you're a little out of shape. So when your spouse is aging, as as hap as is what usually happens. Wait, is that really gonna happen? Yeah, that's gonna happen. I mean, I know I was gonna age, but our wives age too. I, I've this. heard that it, that it does happen, <laughs> but if your wife is you, it you you've kind of right. it's not just like we share things, but we identify with each other. You don't stop liking the way you look. You're no. not going to stop liking the way your spouse looks. And you see that in those beautiful marriages of sixty years, fifty years, forty years. It's, it's, it's the twinkle in the eye, it's the right. glow. It's amazing. But, but that takes time and effort. You built that marriage. It's not going to happen in a second. Right. You put effort into identifying with this person, into sharing things with that person. You become one. Is that harder in the late second or third marriage, you know, when people's spouses die? Is that? I don't know. That's an interesting question. Yeah. I, I, emotionally I don't know. Psychologically, that's very tricky. Yeah. I, I, that's probably also in it like, you know, you're going to get, you ask a hundred people, you might get a hundred, hundred different answers. Right. So I, I, I just want to take this a little further. There is, there is a sense that our emotional cop, the, the, like the emotional parts of us, that the component of us, which makes us like, we'll call not super rational is a detriment. It's somehow like a human lacking. There's a really nice piece from um, the Altar of Kelm, one of the great Mercer personalities in the late 1800s, where he really says that this is what makes us uniquely and specially human. So he starts with this. The, the Talmud in, in Tractate Chabas on page 88 says that the um, Moshe was 
confronted by the angels. The angels didn't want to didn't want human beings to have the Torah. And Moshe responds to them that no, humanity needs the Torah. Like, and he unpackages this conversation uh, as meaning the following: the angels are these like you know kind of abstract cerebral entities without any emotions. And like, why should you get the Torah? You're you know you're human beings are hybrids, so you know we're intellectual, but we're also emotional. And Moshe says precisely for that reason is why we're given the Torah, because the Torah is the way in which we can use to develop and shape and ultimately dominate our emotions to the point where our emotions are doing what they should be doing. Right. We're never we're never squashing emotions ever. We're not we're not lobotomizing anything. We need we need we need tremendous joy at the correct moment. We need tremendous sadness at the correct moment. We need we need tremendous, let's call it, you know, hyper, you know, intellectual, honesty, cold, calculated you know, at the correct moment, all of these things have to be utilized and the Torah is going to influence when and where and how we should tap into those emotions. Exactly. So an example, he says, this is kind of an extreme example. He says that you'll find sometimes like in, in, in court cases, human emotion will kind of shift the verdict. If you're judging something, cold logic is not, you know, Vulcan logic is not exactly what you want. You want the human touch. And that is by design. Like, that should influence. Now, you're right. Sometimes you do need to be cruel. Sometimes, you know, if God forbid a person has gangrene in the limb, the doctors have to be cruel and amputate that limb. And being kind and not forcing the person through that surgery is not going to be positive, you know, a positive reaction. Right. So the human being needs to kind of use those emotions and channel them correctly. So he ends off, he says that the... the um, the, the Gemara says that Hamid HaChachamim Torah scholars are Marbim Shalom and they increase Shalom in the world. So Shalom is translated as peace, but it also but means... But really mean it's like, a, it really it's a wholeness, Shalom, right. to completeness. be complete. There's exactly. nothing lacking there. And he says what that is, is know how, through a Torah scholar's, you know, breadth of knowledge, how to correctly place each emotion into its correct place, how to react with the correct emotions, not with no emotions, but with the correct emotions to each given situation. Wow. That's like the zenith of Jewish achievement. Wow. So the, the peace that, that the, 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 the Torah scholars are increasing is helping everybody to develop the correct emotional response in the different worlds. Meaning, if you have a wedding, this is your point, right? You have a wedding. How come, my, how come I'm not getting married? How come my kids aren't getting married? Go to the wedding together and actually be happy for each other. Would, was definitely going to increase that wholeness, increase that oneness. Instead of showing up to the wedding, I'm so happy for you. Really, congratulations. And to my teeth, I just want to tell you, it's so exciting and so happy for you. Maybe have a drink. Right, exactly. And then the opposite, right? How many sad events happen where there might be a little bit of, of schadenfreude over there? We're like, well, <laughs> you know, like that. that's also a, a, a negative emotion. You want to develop sadness with other people properly also when there's a tragedy yeah this is and this is a never-ending job this is kind of like what it means to be a developing jew so we're never ever squashing our emotions we need to utilize them use the torah to let us know how and well how and where they need to be developed and used properly and i love that point that's going to help bring the world to its completion exactly and and using some of these tools are you know tips on how to develop i want to end off with a a very powerful um a Torah insight. Uh, this is from Mayor Simcha of Tvinsk. Uh, he explains that the, the Torah writes um, describing um, God's conversation with Abraham right after the binding of Isaac. So God asks Isaac to offer his son as a, asks Abraham to offer his son Isaac as a sacrifice. Abraham is ready to do it. God tells him they are not to. 
for the insight. We have a podcast on that. A little <laughs> shout out to us. Um, but at the end of this, God says, Yana because you did this, the Torah continues that God tells Abraham, your children will inherit their enemies. And they will be blessed, you know, with this inheritance. So he says the following. What, what, the, what does this mean? They'll, they'll, they will inherit their enemies and they will be blessed. He says, unfortunately, the reality is that countries sometimes need, defend, need to wage defensive wars. They have enemies and they need to wage wars against them. Now, the reality is when you fight a war, a lot of negative emotions can come and can, can develop. You know, people, veterans come back from combat, even from combat, which is absolutely necessary, a justified war, the veterans come back broken, they come back harsh, they come back insensitive because of what, they'd had, what they've had to do. Right. So the blessing that God gave Abraham is because you were willing to control your emotions and your sense of love and to follow what I asked you to do, even though emotionally this is something that is you know, seemingly impossible to do, my blessing to you is when your children are in situations which would seemingly have insurmountable emotional obstacles to overcome, veterans coming back from war, they'll still be blessed. They won't have that negative effect. I'm blessing your children if they have to wage war to defend themselves, that they will inherit their enemies, they will be victorious in war, and they will still be blessed. That because you were able to control your emotions, I will give them the tools and the ability to come back for more and still be, be shlemin, still be complete and healthy emotionally. This is like a, God saying that if you essentially develop your emotions to the point where it's very, very difficult, but you're still maintaining what you feel is the correct way to feel, even though it's really hard for you, and it, it's like, it's gut-wrenching sometimes to develop some of these emotional tools, and it's, it's like, it's the hardest thing to do. You will find the blessing that I give you back is that you'll have the tools to do it in the most difficult situations. Yeah, and, I, and that's amazing. And I think a great way for all of us to begin to develop this is to start with those little assertive communications. Those little, you know, don't let that resentment start to build up. Don't hate your neighbor in your heart, your roommate, your fraternity brother, whatever it is, your colleagues. You start to see a little bit of rub there. Start to practice these lines. You can begin to develop that beautiful assertive communication where nothing's staying in your heart and it, it, in your de you're developing yourself instead of letting yourself pro-negatively become that person that no one wants to talk to at Thanksgiving in right. 25 years. And then you're the kind of person that can walk around with that little voice playing their head saying, is it worth it? Is this what I need to do? Is this what I need to do? Is this what I should do? You can develop those skills where like you're walking around doing the right thing. And you got to start. Yeah. You got to start. You don't want to wait till you're 45, 50 years old. This, you know. And you're old, you know. Yeah, you got to start now. And, and and by the way, if you're listening and you're 45, 50, just start now. No no offense. <laughs> Better than start when you're 70. And if you're no, 70, yeah. Uh, no, no offense. No offense. 